0: This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast
1: One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. We told you last week we were going to go to Brazil to talk about the attempt to seemingly overthrow the government of Brazil. But then this happened in Ukraine. A massive missile strike.
2: The rescue works have been completed by now. The outcome is petrifying.
1: Yuri Sak, an advisor to Ukraine's Minister of Defense. 45 people are dead. Six children are among them. 79 people were injured. Two dozen people listed as missing. 400 people have lost their homes. Ukraine's ambassador, Oksana Markarova, lays it all at Vladimir Putin's feet.
0: His goal is to destroy Ukraine. And this is what we see.
1: Coming up on this episode of Target USA. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the national security podcast. I'm JJ Green. We were planning to focus on the horrible Russian missile strike in Dnipro on an apartment building that killed 45 people on Saturday. Among them were a dozen children. 80 people were injured. Two dozen people are still missing. 400 were left homeless. But before we do that, Ukraine, as you may know, has been rocked by yet another tragedy today. A helicopter carrying Ukraine's interior minister crashed into a kindergarten in a foggy residential suburb of Kyiv today killing him and about a dozen other people, including a child on the ground. Interior Minister Denis Monastirsky, who oversaw the country's police and emergency service, is the most senior official killed since Russia invaded Ukraine nearly 11 months ago. And his death, and this is a greater part of the tragedy, along with the rest of his ministry's leadership and the entire crew of the helicopter, was the second major calamity in four days to befall Ukraine. This after that missile strike we told you about. This is a statement from one of the people that we talk to fairly frequently, and that is uh, Yevhenia Kravchuk. She's a member of Ukraine's parliament about this tragedy.
0: It's it's very close to my heart because I knew personally Minister of Interior, he was a former member of parliament, uh, and, you know, I knew him for, for many years, very professional, and also I knew his uh, first deputy chair and the, um, the secretary of uh, state uh, of this ministry uh, were, you know, pretty close, worked together. So it, it's very hard, and of course emotionally it's even more harder uh, because uh, kids died, uh, and this um, crash uh, was near the kindergarten. Um, so, it, you know, you can never get used to deaths of uh, children.
1: So yet again, Ukraine has yet another tragedy to deal with in the midst of a bigger tragedy, the war that's going on in Ukraine. And back to Dnipro. We talked with Yuri Sack. He's an advisor to Ukraine's Minister of Defense.
2: The situation, JJ, in Dnipro is indeed another horrible atrocity that was inflicted upon my country and my people. Um, The rescue works have been completed by now. The outcome is petrifying. So 45 people, including six children, have died as a result of that missile strike. More than 70 have been badly injured. Um, 1,700 flats have been destroyed and people have been left without... Uh, accommodation without homes. Um, so yeah, this is, um, you know, I'm not even sure how to comment because, like, I've said that Russia is a terrorist state so many times before, and now the world, the, the whole world, sees it, uh, unfortunately, regularly. So we need to step up the mm-hmm. supply of air defense system to Ukraine, the st- supply of tanks and everything, because we need to end this soon.
1: Yuri, um, there have been some reporting here that the missile that hit that building was a hypersonic missile. Is that true, to your knowledge?
2: No, according to our understanding, this was a CAR-22 missile. Now, these are the anti-ship missiles. They're not designed for these kind of strikes. Uh, I mean, look, as far as we're concerned, no missiles are designed to strike residential blocks of flats. You know, whether air to surface missiles, whether air, to air. so uh, these war criminals—they have used a, a, a low precision, essentially, missile to target a residential area, in full knowledge that that missile carries about 950 kilograms of explosive. Now that's that's just—you've uh, seen the devastating effect it had and the, the this level of destruction that it caused. Uh, There is no excuse uh, for this terrorist state. And, uh, you know, since this terrible strike, we've been saying on different platforms internationally that the world just has to, for example, how can Russia be still on the UN Security Council? I mean, is that not nonsense?
1: Most people who think about it and look at the facts would probably agree with Mr. Sack that it is nonsense that a member of the United Nations Security Council is doing this to another country, more importantly, a neighbor. We spoke with Ukraine's ambassador to the US, Oksana Markarova, about the entire situation. Ambassador Markarova, thank you again for taking time to talk with us. And I wanna get straight into the situation here. Bakhmut and Soledar, there's been furious fighting there. What can you tell us about the situation? Well, thank
0: you. Thank you for having me and thank you for keeping Focus on Ukraine because I think this fight is very important, not only for Ukraine but for all of us. Uh, there is a very heavy fighting in Bakhmut, Solidar, but not only. Russia continues to shell uh, and indiscreetly target civilian objects everywhere in Ukraine. They still are trying to destroy our energy grid, but of course, Bakhmut and Solidar, where it's a twenty-four-seven. Uh, very active uh, artillery duels, kind of like World War I type of type of fight where the Ukrainian defenders are defending every inch of, of, of the land and Russians are trying to create at least some, uh, if we even call it like a victory or whatever, to show that they can uh, advance somewhere. But regardless how difficult it is, our armed forces are very effective in defending it are trying of course in a very responsible format because again unlike russians who are putting a lot of their soldiers uh, in harm's way and sometimes even shooting at them at their own you know shooting artillery at their own soldiers we are trying to preserve to, to preserve the, uh, the 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 buildings to preserve our brave defenders to also try to get the civilians out of the harm's way because this is the area where people still live and the city of Bakhmut, which used to be a very vibrant city before February 24th, there is still about 10% of the population which is there, and people do not want to leave. They they want to stay at their, at their homes, regardless uh, of how dangerous it is. And we're trying to evacuate as many people. So it's very difficult, uh, but not something unexpected. We know that Russians, uh, you know, do not intend to stop yet. We know that... With our partners and with all the support we are getting, we just need to get more capabilities in order to be able to liberate our land, and most importantly, our people, as soon as we can.
1: Ambassador, can you tell us a little bit more about the state of the situation for the people in Bakhmut and Solodar? You said about 10% of the population is still there. No, know Soledad is a town, I think, of about 10,000 or a little more, maybe. Not sure about Bakhmut. But how many people are still there, and what are they facing?
0: Well, Bahmut was about 70,000 people uh, before this phase. So it's our estimate. We don't know how many people, but it's our estimate at about 10%. That's what we see. I mean, the situation is horrible. The conditions that uh, uh, Russians are creating everywhere in Ukraine are, are unbearable. But in, in Bakhmut and Solidarity, it's without electricity, without water, without uh, access to basic uh, you know, human needs supply, medical, food. So we, we as the state, we still have uh, what we call the point of uh, unbreakable, uh, unbreakable. you know, the places where we provide generators and bring some, uh, you know, the, the army and the uh, volunteers bring medical supplies and um, something so that people can have, can come there. And also I want to remind, it's very cold now in Ukraine. So they can come to places which are warned and have some water and have food and have uh, medical supplies. But it's very, very difficult, not to mention, you know, for children. You know, uh, thanks God, you know, the majority of children are relocated uh, to safer place in Ukraine. Now, unfortunately, again, with Russian shell in all the places and today, again, Kherson and other places have been hit by Russian uh. Uh, missiles and they're using this iranian drones and everything else so even if you are not directly on the front line it's not like you are safe uh, there yes. is uh big risks for civilians and children and women everywhere in ukraine
1: yeah ambassador we've spoken several times with um, your um colleague mr yuri sack and his team from the ministry of defense and you know, they, they, they have said that uh, basically the, this, this place is almost in ruins, but Russia continues to fight, continues to destroy. What is so important about this region for Russia, do you believe?
0: Well, it's um, I wouldn't even call the region that is important for Russia. Uh, Mr. Putin clearly said in 2014, when he attacked Ukraine in the first place, And on February 24th, and he repeated throughout this uh, months of full-fledged war, that his goal is to destroy Ukraine. And this is what we see. So it's not about a particular region. It's not about particular people. It's not about particular towns. It's essentially an aggressive act of um, autocratic regime, autocratic country that simply wants to restore the Soviet Union or the Russian Empire, whatever it is that they are restoring in their uh, sick fantasies, I wouldn't even call it something else. And as they saw that people in Ukraine united in defending their homes, as they saw that everywhere in Ukraine, from Kharkiv to Lviv to Kiev to Solidar and Bakhmut, regardless of what people, what language people speak or what religion they, what gods they worship, All of us as a political nation, all Ukrainians say, this is our home. We just want to live here. We just want to select our own presidents. We just want to be independent. And after that, we see that the war turned into simple destruction, like they have destroyed the city of Mariupol, which we discussed with you uh, when the fight was going there. And more than 90% of the city is destroyed now. Mm -hmm. And they continue uh, uh, destroying the remaining buildings under which we still have bodies of the people they have killed, and they're just trying to hide this evidence, you know, and trying to destroy it while they are occupying Mariupol, we see the similar MO in a number of other places. And they destroy not only, uh, you know, the, 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 the buildings, residential buildings, but the hospitals, the museums, the churches, The universities, which have been there for hundreds of years. Uh, Frankly, you know, we hear a lot of Ukrainians who survived, like elderly, who survived World War II, saying that even Nazis who have done horrible destruction of Ukraine did not do it as bad as as Russians are doing now, which is, you know, unheard of. So so this is what they're doing, simply trying to punish Ukraine for wanting to be independent.
1: Yeah. You mentioned um, this is um, a very cold time of the year, and we know temperature has been the temperature has been dropping. Um, I think last week maybe it was a little warmer than normal, but we're back to normal now. So, what what is the situation now with the power and the energy supply from a percentage point of view for for I guess Kiev and for other parts of the country?
0: Thank you. It's a, it's something that Russia did from the beginning of the war but especially last october when they specifically started hitting our power grid and uh uh you know essentially during the past two months destroyed more than 50 percent of our energy system so the electricity the gas transportation they're trying to, to to hit everything, but when you don't have electricity and 50% of the electricity, you can relate to it. When there is a power outage somewhere in the United States because of technical uh, reasons for a couple of hours, it's already difficult. But not to have electricity because the system has been bombed uh, and not to have it for weeks. It's not just the electricity. It means you don't have water. It means you, the sewage doesn't work. It means that uh, the elevators, do not work to get you in the high-rise buildings. It also means that the local bakeries cannot bake bread, you know. So it's really a big challenge, and they probably hope that this big destruction will actually put such a big pressure on civilian population that we will surrender. But again, contrary to what Russians thought, and they have miscalculated again, Because Ukrainians were united and saying, it's better be without electricity, but under your occupation. And we have seen how people united and how our partners, and I want to mention the incredibly fast support we are receiving from the United States. And the Department of State and Department of Energy has put together a team that has been working with us on a literally daily basis on looking at what the needs are and trying to get the generators and transformers and, and whatever need that we have in order to be able to repair and get back the heating and the electricity. Now it's a very challenging task. And as you rightfully said, you know, God was helping us too, because in December and early in January, the the temperatures were unusually warm uh, for, for, for Ukraine, but it's still very cold even with, with, with that. So we will do everything possible, and sometimes impossible, yeah. in order to help each other and survive during this period. But we already are thinking about how we will be repairing it and how we will be providing for our people so that they they can not only survive, but also can continue working. This is also very important.
1: So speaking of surviving uh, and continuing to work, um, I think it was yesterday, uh, one of your um, intelligence or defense ministers or officials said that uh, basically there was a warning that um, another one of these massive hybrid Russian missile drone attacks is coming. Um, What can you tell us about that concern?
0: We know that that intent is there, so we continue telling to everyone in Ukraine that when you hear a siren, you have to go to the shelters. Uh, We're trying to to save as many people as possible. So, for example, the schools in Ukraine, which, again, miraculously opened, uh, reopened after the first phase of, uh, of not being opened, and it's only allowed if the schools do have the shelters inside their schools or right next to it. Uh, but A, we tell all the people to be extremely cautious and be very attentive to all the sirens and and be in uh, secured locations. Of course, with more air defense that we are getting from our partners, uh, and we of course need much more, but uh, it already made a difference. You know, this NASEMS and other air defense, new air defense that we are getting is helping us to preserve um, cities and, and some locations. We also, you know, uh, the the banking in Ukraine, the the business in Ukraine is changing a lot of internal processes Mm -hmm. in order to be able to work in the situation when you have hours without electricity. We have what we call the power banking, when uh, there is a huge number of banking institutions and and branches that are completely equipped with generators and with Starlink connections. So that even without, in the case of the outages, the banking system works. So I think, you know, this resilience that we see in Ukrainian people, the resilience that Ukrainian business, especially small and medium-sized businesses, are showing is also remarkable. Now, of course, we all have to focus on getting more capabilities because that's the only thing that will help us to get to just peace faster
1: Yeah.
0: and, and start thinking about reconstruction rather than... How to survive.
1: So then, my last question here um, almost um, what is it that you need that you don't have right now that you need to get?
0: Well, the short answer to that would be everything. But, you know, look, we are very grateful. I mean, if you look at uh, more than 23 billion worth of security assistance that the United States has provided to us since February 24th. Um, and the evolution of the capabilities that we're getting. And as we have not only proven that we can win, but also that we can be very efficient in training and using it very quick on the battlefield and use it also in a very responsible manner, Uh, we're getting more and more capabilities. And as you asked, not only is providing it to us from from your own stock, but also organize this, uh, what we call the Rammstein Group, And Secretary Austin managed to get more than 50 of his uh, colleagues throughout the world to get together and help us as a group, as the coalition of the people who would like to see the just peace restored. So what is it that we need? Of course, air defense remains the priority. We need more of it. We need more munition for air defense in order to be able to to save people, to save uh, our remaining greed and everything the firepower is also very important it's 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 very much an artillery war so all this uh multi-rocket launch systems and howitzers and everything that we need in order to be able to liberate more territories we need all of that the longer distance uh stuff you know something that we actually can get everywhere on our territory that russians will know that there is no safe spots for them that there is no places where they can actually comfortably sit down and plan the murders and plan their war crimes, uh, the tanks and the armored vehicles. And you probably saw that a number of our partners are discussing very actively and very hopeful that we will start getting new capabilities in that area. So, I mean, it's it's all of the above. Again, we're very grateful for everything we have received, and we know it's it's a lot, and we're very grateful to to American people for providing us with all the so-needed assistance. But as our president said when he spoke to Congress in December, it's a good investment. It's an investment in security for all of us. It's an investment in a situation when Putin will not be able not to attack Poland and, and other countries, which he is very open in saying that that's what he would want to do. He would His ambitions at the beginning of this war, has been by much bigger than just uh, the war in Ukraine. And um, we, we, we cannot afford to miss this 1939 moment again. We have to stop evil when it's still local in Ukraine, and we have to show that it's not, you know, you, we see the war in Ukraine now, but it was Georgia before that, and Syria before that, and poisoning people on the streets in, in, in the UK. And shooting down MH17, I mean, we all together as humanity have to say it's enough. You know, we have to stop it and we have to win this war while it's still in Ukraine.
1: Well, Ambassador, uh, last time we spoke, and this is my last question, I asked you if you had any messages for uh, Vladimir Putin, and and you basically said it's not worth leaving or giving messages to him. You said. We know what he's doing. We just need to stop him from doing it. And so I imagine that's going to be your response this time, but if you have something to say, please tell us and just let me know if there's anything that I haven't asked you about today that you think is important.
0: Well, thank you. Uh, you know, you, you know that President Zelensky has uh, presented his peace formula and justice is a big part of that formula. Uh it's uh, we, as we approach in a very sad anniversary a year after after russia attacked us it's of course for us about just peace and about winning it and about russians getting out and liberating all of our territory within internationally recognized borders and getting all of our people back but it's also about justice they have to be held accountable for everything they've done to us and to other people because it's not only important to see them on the bench in The Hague or in some other location and to have this tribunal to hold these war criminals accountable, but it's going to be very important to prevent some other uh, autocrats who might think in the future that it's okay to invade a peaceful neighbor and redraw borders with, with, with force. So, um, you know, we just have to stay the course. And we just have to win it together, and we just have to bring just peace to Ukraine and justice back to the international legal system.
1: Well, Ambassador, thank you. I know you're busy, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you again in the future.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. As my mom used to say, everything is going to be good at the end. If it's not good, it's not the end.
1: That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, the stunning attack on Brazil's capital by election deniers.
2: There was a bit of a surprise. I don't think
0: we were expecting this kind of uh, event.
1: Rodrigo Chia, a transparency activist in Brasilia, the capital of Brazil. Though we did uh, follow the U.S. script for uh, the last two years, you know, like questioning elections and uh, always uh, questioning uh, democratic uh, institutions and so on. But as
0: everything was was, uh, kind of normal in the last week or the last 10 days, we're not expecting such a thing. It all evolved very quickly in the
1: last two, two or three days. And unless there's breaking news, that's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word at whiskey tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA,
0: the National Security Podcast.